0: Welcome to OK Computer. I'm Dan Nathan, joined by CNBC's TechJet host, Dear Jabosa, Debo. welcome back to the pod.
1: Hello. Happy Long Weekend Tuesday. I
0: know. Uh, c- can we just talk about this? I don't know whether we should just always have long weekends or just shorter work weeks, however you want to identify it, but I- I'm all for it either way.
1: I have a theory. This long weekend is like the most appreciated of the year because it comes so soon after the holidays yeah. that it's a good way to ease back into and ease into a new year.
0: I love Jan and Feb. We have two really nice three-day weekends in there. We got a lot to cover here because we are literally on the doorstep of Q4 earnings season. We haven't had any big pre-announcements. I know a lot of folks were thinking about Apple and the way it was trading in the first week of the year. And I know that you did a big report on TechCheck on Apple as an unconventional AI play for 2024. So we're going to talk about that. We have TSM kicking off their earnings this week. We did have their sales, and there was a lot of puts and takes from that out of the gate this week, we have AMD raging up 8%, Nvidia up 13% on the year in a straight line D. So we're going to talk a little bit about kind of this notion of going back to the things that got us here, right? So we've had some volatility. The Nasdaq's basically unchanged. We also have some big tech companies laying folks off again. So a lot going on. How are you thinking about the volatility that we've had year to date or so? And now, again, out of the gate this short week, we have an analyst kicking off AMD, going a price target from 120 to 200 talking about how well positioned they are in generative AI chips. While NVIDIA clearly has the lead, and we all get that, they're expecting a big catch-up. To see a stock up 8% like this off of an analyst upgrade to numbers and price tag, it's eye-popping a little bit.
1: Yeah, it feels like the first week of January, which was only a few weeks ago, feels like it was much longer away from us. I was actually still on holiday in Canada during that week, but of course, I was tracking what was happening in markets and was like, uh oh, is this going to be another repeat of 2022? The air comes out of tech. And just the week since then, you've talked about the mega caps, you've talked about NVIDIA straight line up. It feels like that never happened, that they've just regained this market leadership and we're going to see a repeat. That said, of course, that is very early on. You mentioned earnings and that's really the big catalyst, right? Those 24 guides are going to be absolutely key. And
0: a lot of those earnings are going to start next week, next Wednesday. But it's also important to note: while NVIDIA is up 13% of the year, AMD with today's gains is up 8% of the year, Alphabet's up 2%, Amazon's up 2%, Meta's up almost 6%, Microsoft's up 3.5% or so. So again, it really is a crowding in some of the biggest stories that got the market's back in bull mode in 2023, while there's a whole host of other volatility in other sectors. Like I'm looking at my screens today, I see Boeing down 8%. I see airlines getting killed. I don't even see crude oil up that much. I do see a lot of attention being placed on what's going on in the Red Sea. And you might think that's a macro story that's affecting some other stuff. But Tesla talked about stopping down production right at their Giga Berlin factory for a couple weeks because of the situation in the Red Sea. And I wonder if this brings a lot lot of investors back to early 2022 when the war in Ukraine started and, and the disruptions that we saw to supply chains. Does this have this sort of thing? Are we going to start hearing a lot about this? Obviously not by a lot of these enterprise software companies, but other tech companies that are building things that rely on right. these complicated supply chains.
1: That's a great point, but it also feels like quality's back and that these names, these mega cap names, they have these generative AI underpinnings as well. And They have huge cash piles and moats and just feels like more of the same, right? Even if macro risk factors are rising, even if you have problems with the supply chain, who's in the best position to figure that out? And it feels like those mega caps. So even just looking within the tech complex, right, non-profitable tech reversing two months in a row, it's now down and we see this flight back to the magnificent seven. They seem to be, again, the safe haven. Yeah,
0: and so here we are. We're anniversarying. I think, the the, kind of the moniker of MAG-7. I think it was probably coined in the beginning of at least Q1 of of 2023. And the one thing I, I think just to differentiate between companies that rely on supply chains and need to move these products around and the like, and so increased costs if you do have these sorts of disruptions ultimately have to be attempted to be passed through to consumers or they eat into margin. And you could say that consumer or internet, companies that rely on advertising are immune to that issue. They are and they aren't, right? Because while inflation has been the main story, if you see weaker demand and you're an enterprise software company or you're a consumer-facing company that relies on advertising to monetize, sooner or later, that is going to find its way back into you. And so another story I think is important, we're starting to see some of these big companies. Google is making hundreds of layoffs, our alphabet, that is. So is this going to be a story? And I know it's something that you've been tracking now for a couple of years. We had that huge hiring binge in late 2020, 2020 and 2021. And we've seen a reversal of that over the last year and a half or so.
1: Yeah. And that's what I was going to say is different from last time, right? That we saw all of these stocks under pressure. There was this thinking that they had gotten too comfortable and their workforces had gotten too fat over the pandemic. So there were so many efficiencies that need to be put into place. So that was 2023, the year of efficiency that lit a fire, as well as generative AI and all these different forces that created the Magnificent Seven. But what we're seeing early this year is that it's not just year of efficiency, it's years of efficiency efficiency. And that's, we've seen layoffs at Google, Amazon, Discord, Unity, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And I was talking about this for TechCheck, spoke to friend of the pod, friend of CNBC, Jeff Richards, about why this can continue to keep happening. And he sees this as maybe a broader macro shift. Some of the productivity, that generative AI, that met with the year of efficiency drive. And that's just going to prolong sort of the ability for these Meg7 companies and even just tech as a whole to become even more efficient. They can, use the generative AI tailwinds with that drive that started at the end of post-pandemic. Yeah.
0: And there is an odd irony to that, right? Some of the folks that are most excited about generative AI are the ones that are going to first be replaced, if you think about it, a lot of the processes. And Alphabet is one. We had Dan Niles, and I know a good friend of yours from Satori Fund, and who I think is a genius investor on the pod last week. But he was talking about a company like Meta that has dramatically benefited from their use of gen AI, just placing ads and getting better productivity out of that process. So that means better monetization for them that will mean higher margins. Ultimately, hopefully that will offset some of the increased spend that they have right yeah. now to put that in place. That all makes sense to me. I caught this. I think it dropped at least over the weekend or maybe this morning, but you had almost a 10-minute piece on Apple. And so we just mentioned all of those names that are up on the year. And we did start off the year talking about how Apple's ho-hum performance last year, only up 49%, the worst of the Mag 7, <laughs> was left ho-hum. out Yeah, it was left out of the generative AI game despite gaining a trillion dollars in market cap. Why did you decide to focus on what Apple might be able to do this year at a time where, again, one of the reasons the stock is down so far 5% or so on the year is that folks are starting to get a little worried about iPhone growth, about iPads. And even though that there's supposed to be, again, an uptick in, let's say, computer sales this year after a downtick over the last year or so, but Apple is sitting out the excitement around Gen AI. I'm just curious why this hit your radar and what did you learn through some of your reporting?
1: So when you think about it, Apple was the worst performing of the Meg 7 last year, but it was still up some 40%. And that is without falling all over itself, like some of its megacap peers to explain its generative AI strategy. We've talked about this in the past. It shies away from AI mentions, right? We also looked at this comparison. How many times was it mentioned on earnings calls? And Amazon, just not even close to the likes of Amazon, Google, Meta, Microsoft, that can't mention it enough. And we, when we do these deep dives, it's our tech check weeklies. We look at a topic that it's evident to us as we cover technology, but maybe not to a broader audience. And I felt this was the perfect topic because in tech circles, in Silicon Valley, it seems obvious that Apple is just getting ready to make its move in generative AI, but to a broader audience and even to Wall Street. And we've got lots of instances of strategists and analysts talking about this on CNBC Air. They tend to think that Apple doesn't have a strategy, that it's sitting this out. So we started to look into it. How could Apple be the dark horse here? How could they actually dominate the next evolution of generative AI when we move from the enablers, right, the cloud and the GPUs to killer applications? And Apple's proposition relies on this idea of edge AI. So using devices instead of cloud computing to run large language models in the next iteration. And with a 2 billion plus installed base, Apple could be perfectly positioned here. And there was a Morgan Stanley note that said 2024 is going to be the year when Apple's edge AI opportunity likely comes to fruition. What would it look like? It would basically just have to turn it on. And it's working on this around the edges. But it could really be the the under-the-radar play here. And it's doing all these things that could position it. Other people like Brad Gerstner have talked about this. A lot of people in the tech community. But it still feels like Wall Street has yet to appreciate that play. And in terms of fundamentals, its AI opportunity helps the fundamentals. You started by talking about how iPhone sales, its proposition in China is under fire this year and helping to lead to a decline in the stock. But if it has a really strong AI proposition, that could lead to a new upgrade cycle for iPhone users.
0: That's a great segue because there was a Bloomberg story out that Apple offers rare iPhone 15 discount in China amid demand fears. And you and I spent a lot of time talking about first it was the super apps, but then it was local rivals, right, who had all of a sudden with all the components being made in China, it was that Huawei phone. What was it that the mate It just blew people away, blew reviewers away and the teardowns and they saw, well, these were all chips that the company and the country in general have been scurrying around trying to basically figure out how to deal with a lot of these export bans and it caught a lot of folks off guard but this is very Apple too in a way not the discounting but for instance there was another Bloomberg story out talking about this next Galaxy that's coming out from Samsung. They're just AI AI and they're talking about, I'm assuming Edge AI and Apple again you talked about this in your report they don't have to be first. They never really have been for all intents and purposes. They just have to be thoughtful and do it better but the difference is when they used to lead with design and they used to lead with hardware and software integration. This is kind of a different game as they rely on their own silicon now, right? As they've been doing more and more of this. And so to do edge AI, all that stuff has to come together, right? So that'll be really interesting to see. And we really, we will not get a good indication for this until June, until the Worldwide Developers Forum, if that's fair.
1: You bring up a great point, which is what we break down on the piece as well, but how Apple's vertical integration when it comes to the hardware, the phones, the silicon, the services, the 2 billion install base, how that all works in its favor, how to dominate sort of edge AI, you need all of those things. And that's where Apple is well positioned. And you're exactly right. They never need to be first. So the idea of Samsung coming out with an AI-enabled phone, that could maybe give us some hints, but Apple is going to take its time to do it right, but not first.
0: And it's funny, we've been talking for 15 minutes now, and we haven't even mentioned OpenAI. And and again, Johnny Ive, who was the former designer of almost every major product at Apple, he was often thought to be Steve Jobs' muse. I think he left maybe five, six, seven years ago. I think OpenAI hired him, right, to do a bunch of hardware design. And so that'll be really interesting. Again, there's not going to be probably a product coming out at the end of this year, but they're thinking about a bit of the long game because as OpenAI popularized ChatGPT in this whole format, at some point, it's probably got to live somewhere on some hardware that they own or for all intents and purposes. So I'm just curious how you think of that because we've spent so much time talking about, again, the cloud and some of these consumer apps. Applications, ultimately, the story forward is going to be some supercomputer in your hand, like everything else right now, and how it is powered by that. But that's gonna be a huge upgrade cycle for the existing hardware that we have right now in the smartphone space.
1: It feels like a long time when we've gotten something really innovative and new that everyone has to have in hardware that isn't from Apple, right? We can talk about Fitbit as well and how that's struggling within Google. But even though it's early days, it feels like it's gearing up to be an exciting year for hardware. Maybe we've been talking about a killer generative AI app, but maybe we're going to get a killer generative AI hardware product. You mentioned the reports that Sam Altman's working with Johnny Ive, getting funding from SoftBank potentially on a new piece of hardware. But CES was last week as well. And one of the most buzziest, interesting things to come out of that was, I don't know if you saw it, the Rabbit device that sits in your pocket and you can tell it to just do tasks. And then what was that pin as well? Like they created a lot of buzz too, but maybe no one's nailed it yet. I'm anxious to get my hands on that rabbit <laughs> piece yeah, of Yeah. Pe- people hardware. were pretty
0: un- un- uninterested in the pin as something, it seemed like a very passive sort of thing. But again, there's going to have to be a bunch of iterations of these things that yeah. don't look like smartphones, right? Because we all and have captured them.
1: And the it
0: Cross River Bank, member FDIC going back to the Samsung thing, we don't talk about Samsung hardware all that much. And so it'll be really interesting to see what they come out with. But one thing I think is worth of note in in the article that I was reading about this, and this is a name that has been left out of the game, especially as it has been in semiconductors, because we haven't been talking about these large language models in handheld devices, is Qualcomm. You know, Qualcomm is a 20 plus percent customer of Apple, 20 plus percent customer of Samsung and even Xiaomi and some of these others. And I just wonder, again, if this is a story. There was some of these really crowded stories. Obviously, at first it was NVIDIA. Then it was Broadcom. Obviously, AMD is coming in the mix. I wonder if some investors are looking to ultimately broaden out. When you see a stock like NVIDIA that's gained $200 billion in market cap in just the last two weeks in a straight line or 10% move on a day like today or or from Friday in AMD, sooner or later, you're probably looking for some new stories. Qualcomm is a very cheap stock. I think high single digits, expected earnings and sales growth, better margins than AMD. MD, if there was ever some sort of Samsung Galaxy product that could actually point to a Qualcomm chip that's doing the thing, investors are going to come for this one kind of quickly, trading about 15 times this year, 13 times next.
1: There's already been this broadening out, too. You've seen Broadcom become one of the biggest companies in terms of market cap. We should talk about TSMC as well, though, right, because they just had earnings. And there is this whole idea of the generative AI tailwind that's going to broaden this out and lead to more interesting chip makers like a Qualcomm, even an Intel is becoming more and more interesting. But I go back to this conversation I had with Databricks CEO Ali Ghazi a few months ago. It stays in my head. And he had a lot of belief that we're actually going to see a surplus this year. And everything that you just said might in, underpin that, right? The fact that AMD is off to the races and is going to be designing a really interesting AI chip this year. Also, the idea that a lot of these companies have stockpiled. We've seen that among Chinese companies.
0: Yeah, and, and the double and triple ordering that's going on. Dan Niles and I talked uh, about that a little bit because the AMD chip has not been available yet. I, I think the reviews are, are, are fairly good and it's probably going to be at a lower price point and especially as NVIDIA remains supply constrained, right? You might have a situation where if folks can get similar chips at a cheaper price, let's say from an AMD, you're diversifying a bit of your reliance on just NVIDIA, which has been the only game in town for the last year or so, you might see a bunch of cancellations at NVIDIA. And and that's again something that we've seen over the last five years with NVIDIA as it related to data center and gaming and crypto mining and AR and VR and metaverse again. So I think a lot of folks think that it can't happen again. It certainly can. And it'll happen very quickly. And the same way the stock went up at the end of last May when they had that massive beat and raise and a lot of analysts were convinced and investors that this was going to continue to go for a few quarters. On the flip side of that is the first de-sell that they have that actually is followed by a guide lower for the next quarter is going to be a multi-quarter event, in my opinion. And that's one of the reasons why, from an investor standpoint, it certainly does make sense to broaden out that exposure.
1: I think over the pandemic as well, everyone got a really harsh wake-up call, how important it is to be able to have access to these high-end chips. On Friday, actually, Marguerite Vestier, who is the EU antitrust chief, she was here visiting Silicon Valley, meeting with not just the mega cap CEOs like Tim Cook and Senator Pichai, but she was meeting with chip makers as well, NVIDIA and Broadcom. And I got to sit down with her on Friday and asked her sort of what was maybe the most surprising thing that you learned or the most important conversations you had. And she pointed to the chip makers and she said something that I thought was so interesting. She said, we have to make sure that we're never in a position to be totally dependent on chips that come out of Taiwan or somewhere else. And so she also was representative of not just the American drive to reduce that dependency on Asia, but also the European drive. And they want to start having more chip manufacturing within Europe as well. So all of this leads to a lot of opportunity, but also perhaps the idea of how cyclical this business is and perhaps a surplus in the future.
0: The best trade in the semi-space might be the semi-equipment makers, because as we think about diversifying away from Taiwan, obviously they had the elections over the weekend. And, and again, I don't think it's something that was particularly favorable to Beijing and what their intentions are with their one China policy. I know this is an area you know pretty well. It is fairly remarkable, though, how Taiwan Semi had this huge rally over the last few months or so. It's still below its 52-week and all-time highs and, and well below the all-time highs that were made in early 2022. The stock, just for reference, is $100. It was trading above 140 in January of 2022. But that the geopolitical concerns have not weighed heavier, or maybe they have, given the results. So they did have a a year of down earnings last year, expected to grow double digits this year. So as we get some broader detail away from just the sales data that they gave over the last week or so, it'll be interesting to see what that forecast is. And it's always, while they don't name customers specifically, it's easy to map towards when they talk about some of the areas that they are. But again, I, I think diversification away from Taiwan will be a big story for them too, because for them, they can't have all of their eggs in their own basket.
1: Yeah, they're looking to diversify out of Taiwan themselves. So they're gonna continue to be a major manufacturer. Hey, one, one thing I wanted
0: to catch you on, because I was talking to a mutual friend, not to be named here, who has been a tech investor, but he was also an operator for a while. And I remember seeing him about a month ago, and he was telling me how excited he was. that A lot of the themes that really powered. The enthusiasm in the markets in tech last year he expected to fully carry through this year, and AI and all the different sorts of things that we've been talking about will continue to keep investor sentiment very optimistic. He sounded a bit more pessimistic, and he was talking about basically you're seeing these layoffs and the inability for a lot of people to kind of get new jobs. And, and I thought that was interesting in a way. And so you mentioned unprofitable tech last year. If you were an ad-based model and you were unprofitable, we could just throw Snap out there for instance. Okay, you didn't join the party until really late. It wasn't until it was clear about this Fed pivot, which to me remains very unclear right now, whether the Fed is really going to be cutting interest rates the way a lot of market participants expect them to do in March. But that was the thing that got a snap to double, regardless of the performance that they had been demonstrating over the course of the year when they were supposed to be rationalizing costs too, because they've been aggressively cutting jobs throughout all of 2023. So I just think that sentiment is really interesting. and It changed in a month or so from my friend. And again, it's just purely anecdotal. But those are the things that I like to look for around the edges. Because last year, when everything looked like NASDAQ new highs, S&P about to make a new one, it was really hard to find a bear.
1: We looked at software recently for one of our tech check segments and saw that maybe this is a permanent re-rating because even though you've seen some of these names come back significantly, they're still nowhere near those 2021 peaks. So we asked, is this a new normal? And software, certain names like Zoom and DocuSign, etc., are they never going to really live up to those 2021 levels? That's fine, but there could be new opportunities. And I think that we've been seeing some more deal action recently. I mean, there was reports that private equity is looking at DocuSign so maybe this new normal is we are going to see more MA activity pick up.
0: You just mentioned Zoom, and this is one that's on my radar because, again, this is a wildly profitable company. It has been throughout the entire pandemic period where it was very popularized. They have set $6.5 billion in cash, less than a $21 billion uh, market cap, and no debt. And it just seems like this is one where private equity would kind of love to get their hands on Is a company that's doing annual revenue, $4.5 billion with net income gap net income of probably close to $500 million. So you do the math there and you say to yourself, holy, if the public markets are not going to appreciate this, there's probably another way with some retinkering, especially with all that cash. So Zoom is one to me. The lower it goes, the greater the probability that private equity is going to be uh, swarming all over it, or at least activists, and then the private equity comes next.
1: It doesn't even matter that the business model itself, right? Zoom, video conferencing technology has been commoditized, but I like that you point to sort of those fundamentals and The cash pile it has and no debt as a reason. That's what private equity is looking for. But on the flip side of that, too, I mean, are we going to see more IPOs? It's hard for me to see those really take off in an interesting way. A lot of the IPOs that we're looking for this year are smaller names, not the big stripe and the data bricks that we want to see. So maybe you'll see more private equity MA action, strategic as well versus new listings.
0: Yeah. So here are the things just to put a bow in this conversation, because we covered a lot of ground. Some of the things that I'm focused on is the follow through. AMD and NVIDIA. Really, if we do see, again, a broadening out as we get into Q4 earnings, clearly a sort of downbeat vibe into earnings season. But for all of that, we're basically unchanged on the year. And again, like you just mentioned, some of the biggest gainers of last year that powered most of those gains remain that way. So whether they can hold up is really important to me. But some of the themes, I think looking for some under the radar names, a Qualcomm. Let's see how it acts in and around the result of this Galaxy launch and, and what that really means. Maybe it's just window dressing. Maybe it's something we're digging into. What we talked about with Taiwan Semi, the diversification of supply chains and the like. Semiconductor equipment companies are all really cheap relative to many of the, not the peers, but many of their customers who make the fabs or making these Genite chips. So those are like interesting themes to me in the last one. And I think this will be interesting. And again, we haven't talked much about it, but on the cloud side, remember Alphabet, when they reported their Q3, that stock gapped down 9%. It was disappointing. When Amazon resulted, people were not happy about AWS results. So let's see how these companies and all the spend that they've had over the last year trying to integrate these large language models and the like into their own businesses. And obviously these cloud businesses are one of the best beneficiaries of their ability to monetize these things. Let's see what's going on there. Let's see what's going on with margins. These are the themes that I'm really focused on as we go into Q4 earnings.
1: That sort of fits into my broad theme overall as well as are we going to see the killer generative AI products and apps this year? Because last year was a lot of the mega caps talking about them, can they deliver and monetize stuff that we're going to use? Consumers, right? Enterprise is jumping on right now and starting to use it more and more. But what's going to be that killer consumer yeah, app? No, And assembly? that's a
0: great point because you're already seeing data out of companies like Adobe with Firefly and, and the uptake that they're seeing there. And so all those things should, to Jeff's point about productivity gains, when companies can see those gains, they can justify, you know, subscribing to those sorts of products. So the enterprise will get use out of it, and especially if they're also cutting costs, which we also talked about in the forum of jobs. Well, listen, Debo, I really appreciate you joining me. We covered a lot of ground here. And by the way, this is on the YouTube. If you're watching it that way, you always get to see the Bay Bridge behind Deirdre, which is pretty cool. But subscribe there. Leave some comments in the comment section. We'd love to hear what you think we're talking about here. Hopefully we'll integrate some of the stuff that you guys are focused on too. So thanks so much for joining us, Debo. I appreciate you being back here. We'll talk to you really soon.